Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, our guest is Maureen Murat, who is an attorney advisor in the Office of General Counsel with the D.C. Department of Insurance, Securities, and Banking. Welcome, Maureen. Hi, Gary. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I guess you have to go around and, and say who you are and what you do. That's a that's a mouthful right there. Yeah, well, we normally say Disby for short. I probably should have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you get into law? I kind of fell into it. Um, I was actually in nursing school um, way back when, and I started working part-time at a law office. It was a bankruptcy law office um, as a Initially, I started mailing out her um, back then. They used to mail out advertisements <laughs> and for people who wanted to file bankruptcy. And so, but, you know, the more I worked there, a couple people left or got fired. So then I got more responsibility. I was like, oh, this might be what I really like to do. So I kind of changed course and then um, changed my, my major. And then I was like, OK, I'm going to go to law school instead. <laughs> Now, how did you end up getting over to the general counsel office? So I, before I joined this office, I was at a small firm here in D.C. um, And at that firm, we were helping small businesses who wanted to raise capital. So a lot of times they had, they were fintech businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, This was also a time where, you know, they call it the, you know, wild, wild west of crypto, right? So this is right. 2016, 2017, 2018. Um, and I was working there and we were helping people, one, trying to figure out what the laws were because SEC hadn't figured it yeah. out either. Yeah. Um, and we could, you know, talk about that later. But and also trying to help people still raise capital while trying to build up these new innovative types of businesses. And so a friend of mine that I used to work with at a in a different office actually worked here. So um, someone had told me I should apply for this job. I was like, oh, I'm on the outside. I don't know if I want to go to the other side. Um, right. So I called her and asked her, you know, how do you like working there, et cetera. She's like, oh, you should come. It's like one of the best DC agencies, et cetera. So when I applied, I really didn't think 
you know, anything up. And I was like, okay, I'll just apply. And then months went by and I never heard anything. So I was like, oh, okay, well, it didn't work out. Right. Um, and then I got called a few months later. I think I applied in like March and I got called in June. So, so anyway, yeah, so that's how I ended up here. So now what does the Department of Insurance Securities and Banking, what, what, are, what are your guys' responsibilities? So we initially are um, regulators and I, you know, I told you this at the beginning and of course I forgot as soon as we got started talking, my disclaimer (laughs) that um, everything that I say here today is not um, necessarily the position of the mayor or the Department of Insurance, Securities and Banking. So there's that. But um, so the department is a regulator, but we're also very um, in tune with the consumer, right? So we want to make sure that we're kind of balanced so that we're regulating these entities that are providing these financial services, but at the same time and, and making sure that they have, you know, you know, opportunities for business here, but at the same time, making sure that our residents, um, their constituents, their customers are treated fairly and, you know, have these consumer protections kind of built into whatever product or service they're offering. Right. Um, so we have a whole bunch of different offices. So like you said, we have the insurance securities and Banking Bureau. We have an Office of Financial um, Education and Empowerment. We are also creating an Office of Innovation. So all of these things are supposed to kind of align to make sure that there's a balance in the industry. Right. Now, but you're primarily on the banking side, correct? Yes. Yes. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? I know we were talking about, you know, people who are money transfers and what that means. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So on the banking side, we mainly focus on financial institutions that provide some type of banking service, whether it be, you know, a traditional bank, a depository bank or a non-depository bank. So one of the license types or one of the entities that we regulate are money transmitters, but we also regulate mortgage lenders, mortgage brokers, originators, check cashers, ATM machines, student loan servicers and all that. There are 13 different types of licenses, so I won't you know, okay. bore you with all of them. But in terms of the money transmitters, that you know, tends to be the one of the most popular, I guess, licenses to get because of what you can do with the license, right? Essentially, you are engaging in the act of either uh, receiving or yeah, receiving money for transmission or transmitting that money, right? Mm-hmm. So normally there's a three-party system here. So you have the person sending the funds, you have the intermediary in the middle, the money transmitter, um, and then you have the receiver on the other end. And so these three parties are are essentially moving money back and forth so that you can, I mean, it could be for any reason, right? Um, we And the money transmitter also tends to um, not only just move dollars, right? We can, you move money. So the money could be from US dollars to euros. It could be from, you know, um, I don't know what other uh, currency. So from currency to currency, but then, you know, but the new thing now or newish thing, I should say, is also being able to move um, or transmit um, Bitcoin for dollars or vice versa through an intermediary. So that, that that license that that intermediary gets is because they are taking money or, or of, of some type of currency. It could be crypto or it could be, you know, other um, national currency. They're right. taking that 
they're collecting a fee to convert it to whatever you're asking them to convert to and paying yes. it to whoever you ask them to pay it to. So right. you got you guys are regulating, making sure that if I'm the intermediary, I'm not ripping people off. Yes, you're not ripping right. people off and you're not laundering money, right? Like, right. so we need right. to be, we know where the money came from, right. it went through you and we know where it's going. Yes. Right, right. So that's the... So that that intermediary, their responsibility is to make sure that they know where they're where the funds have come from. Right. Okay. Is it kind of the same thing that's going on in banking now? Um, when somebody goes in, deposits large amounts of cash, why they're being asked, "Hey, where'd you get this from?" Right. Um, and that really came about um, as a result of the, the Dodd Frank Act because of. Right. The crash from, I guess, 14 years ago now, 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, and yes, but yes, that's that's essentially it. They want to be able to um, track those funds. And um, and I think most recently I saw that I don't know if it was the IRS and Venmo saying that people have to report a certain amount now. I think it's like six hundred dollars is very low. So it's also getting a little it's getting interesting because I mean, that's such a low number, right? right Dodd Frank right. Act is like ten thousand dollars, and then, but yeah, anyway. and, 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 and the the because I I understand the uh, that that side of it, the Venmo and the PayPal's and all that. Right. Stuff. What they're what they're doing is is that they're and eBay's is part of this. Also, any of the those exchanges like that, it's you're giving them a ten ninety nine. It's called a ten ninety nine k, and right. it's because somebody's giving you money. And because so many people have started using the Venmo and things like that to accept payment as a business for rentals or whatever it is, that they're trying to find a way to to regulate that. Oh, um, I guess that makes it's, sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. it's one of those things that's difficult because um, from my side of things, it, the tax side of things, you know, we have clients that are coming in and say, hey, I got this K-1, but this is just, you know, with you know my kids in school and I'm sending them money through through Venmo or some other type of cash app. Why am I getting this? So right. you know we still have to handle it because other otherwise IRS will right. ask the questions. That's they have important. those obligations. Yeah. Yeah. Now um, with some of these um, intermediaries and things like that, are they FDIC insured? They are not um, because uh, they are considered non-depository institutions. Okay. So, um, so no, they are not. Um, but they do have to register with the federal government. So FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Enforcement Network, they have a registration process for what they call MSBs, money service businesses. So okay. you do still have to register with them to let them know that you want to enter in this type of business. But your licenses will come from any state that you want to actually operate in. So okay. a lot of times you'll have that registration and you'll have your MSB number and you do have to share it with the, the state or DC, the jurisdiction, but you have to apply for one in each state you want to operate in. What happens that, I mean, how is it? So I, you know, I'm the intermediary, you give me, you know, your Bitcoin and you wanted me to convert it to dollars and you want me to pay it to whoever. How does it work when I I get the, the Bitcoin from you, I do the conversion, I send it to who you tell me to send it to, and what happens if that's not the right person? Because I'm seeing more and more people getting these emails um, business-wise that, hey, you know, here's your invoice, pay, 
here, here's where you need to pay it to the wiring instructions, but that's not really the company. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I like, maybe we could talk a little more about that offline, but, right. um, but generally um, at least how Disby sees those transactions, if you're receiving the money or, or, um, an equivalent to money, right? So something that's considered a money of, uh, I'm sorry, medium of exchange, um, then, and then you, which includes Bitcoin, right? And right. if you are sending that for transmission and I'm the intermediary and I am storing or taking custody of that Bitcoin or other virtual currencies or, you know, national currencies. Um, and and then I'm engaging in the business of money transmission, right? Moving it along for you, mm-hmm. then you would require um, to buy a license. But it's different. And I kind of want to make the distinction um, between if someone like, let's say, walked up to a BTM, uh, an ATM, right? And they just sold their Bitcoin and walked away, got a little receipt and all that. That's not considered money transmission, if you uh, hopefully it makes actually sense depositing you're, right you're just depositing or right. let's say you because there are btms that are um one way right so you're either selling or buying but then there are btms that are two-way where you can do both and so if you're doing both then we're stepping into money transmission land okay. if you will. Okay. um but if you're sending funds through an intermediary and the intermediary sends it to someone and it's not who you think it was um I think that's more of a consumer protection issue. Um, And we have seen where, unfortunately, because um, I guess crypto is there's a lot of hype around it um, that people kind of get, you know, suckered in (laughs) suckered in, and and are scammed, essentially, um, because it's very even with all of what's going on, um, we have to you know, we know that the underlying technology for cryptocurrency is blockchain. But to be clear, these companies that are um, exchanging or transmitting these funds for you are not running on blockchain, right? Right. They are, you know, they are on Web2 regular, uh, um, regular, you know, internet services, they use APIs, you know, all that, that they're not using anything um, innovative, let's say, even though they might have better um, controls and protections nowadays because we have two-factor authentication, et cetera. But, um, but essentially, these things are not running on blockchain. So when you do send it to someone who is not who you think they are, it's really hard to get it back because- right. Even though we know that those funds went through, you know, an intermediary went to that person and went to that wallet, you know, that wallet still may not be attached. That might wallet, you might be able to attach it to an IP address or something like that, but not a name. It won't say Gary, you know, on the on the other end. Right. It'll say it won't say my name necessarily on the other end. So we do have to be really careful about where we're where we're sending funds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've even seen uh, with Venmo how people are trying to spoof somebody else's um, you know name, and it's just like I mean, if you're not really paying attention, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's off by one character type thing, um, you know. So I've definitely seen that. So I, getting back to to the licensing piece, and you're talk, talking about the ATMs and BTMs and stuff like that. So if I own a ATM and I'm putting it wherever, I have to have a license to be able to do that, correct? If you own, a, you mean like a traditional ATM? Yeah, I'm putting, I own the ATM, but I'm putting it in whatever, a store in DC. 
Yes, you do have to be registered to do that. Yes. Okay. That's something because I know I know a lot of people are uh, business wise that, that look at having ATMs as a lucrative business. Right. Um, and things. So, so I just I didn't know who regulated that. I, I thought that that was. You know, it's like, okay, each one of them's independent and, you know, you're, you know, I'm going to say use at your own risk if <laughs> right, it's right. not a, if it's not a bank ATM. Right. So if it's not a bank ATM, yes. And it's an owner operated ATM. So it's your private one. Um, yes. You would have to register with um, Disney. If it's a bank operated one, then they don't register with Disney. They're considered national banks. They're already regulated by the federal government. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, if I'm if I'm independently own that ATM, do I have to have any type of signage or anything on it saying that this is not owned by a bank? This is an independent ATM. So a lot of ATMs in the city are partner with banks, actually. Right. right? Because they need a bank to kind of help them fund right. those ATMs. Um, but. What is required? So it's not required to say I'm not a national bank. I think it's almost kind of obvious, honestly, because a national right. bank will have, you know, sign, SunTrust right. all over. Exactly. Well, not SunTrust anymore, but, you know, right. <laughs> um, whatever the name of the bank all over it. But um, for the district, you are required to have um, information on that ATM to show that you are registered with us. It's a decal or we call it a sticker. Right. Um, and then you also have to have prominently displayed your information so that if something were to, you know, happen with the machine or something like that, that they could call you to to, Get to make a complaint or to, you know, fix whatever the issue is. Yeah. Right. So it's pretty simple, I think. I mean, we have a lot of ATMs in the city, if you can imagine. Oh, yeah. So and they're all over. So. Right. Right. So we've gone through a lot quickly here. Yeah. <laughs> like I could I could keep going because I find a lot of this fascinating because um, part of it because I don't know a lot about it. Um, but just the, the whole uh, not knowing the regulations and not knowing that, OK, now there is this extra layer that's there. I mean, to me, it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable, but it's still buyer beware. You right. know, you want to make sure that if you're using any type of a, a money transfer or anything, that, that they are reputable and you kind of know who they are type thing, um, because otherwise, you know, again, you could lose could lose your money. Right. Yes. And it's really unfortunate. But um, but to your point, that's why you have to really be careful. I don't know if you've heard of um, because I know you were saying people were spoofing Venmo addresses. But I mean, this is also not new. Right. People do that with email addresses all the time. So it's just moving along with innovation as things innovate. Scammers find ways to, you know. To, to, to engage in that kind of, uh, I guess, illicit activity. So we do have to be extra vigilant. Yeah. So what have I not asked you that you wish I would have? Um, that's a good question. I, um, yeah. I think um, one thing that I want to like make sure that we um, cover, because I know we talked, I guess, mostly about uh, money transmission and Bitcoin activity and things like that. Um, is to also be mindful that, you know, things can change, right? So sometimes um, because of the news cycle and because of the federal government's involvement a lot in a lot of this, things can change pretty quickly. So it's I think it's a good um, idea to really keep up with what's going on in the world outside of 
Twitter or wherever right. we get our news. Because I get my news from Twitter sometimes too, I'll, I'll admit. Right. <laughs> but, you know, to just, um, to your point about, you know, reputable sites, but also reputable places where you can get information about what's going on. And I think the best way to get information about um, licensing or regulations or anything like that in any jurisdiction is to go to the site, right? The website that um, um, that talks about it, of the agency, the agency's website, as opposed to, because I know I often see a lot of, um, I guess, articles and stuff online that'll say, oh, this is what you can do in DC. This is what you can't do in DC or New York or wherever. But I think the best source is the actual agency's website. Yeah, so that that was going to be kind of my you, you, you led me right into it. Okay. <laughs> if, if if somebody wants to talk to you or they want to learn more about this um, in DC, how do they? How can they get in touch with you or get in touch with your agency to get more information? So we have our general email, which is disb d i s b at dc gov. Um, if it's banking related, um, we have the banking bureau at dc gov. Um, for myself, my um, email is Maureen Murat, uh, Maureen dot Murat, I should say, at dc.gov. Um, we also have, um, you know, Disby's on social media. So they have a LinkedIn page. They are on Twitter. They're on IG now. So um, we have, you know, different ways you can get in contact. Great, great. I really appreciate your time, Maureen. I've learned a lot from you today. Um, I know our listeners have, and, and I got a feeling you're going to get some emails with some questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. This week, our guest was Maureen Murat, who is an attorney advisor in the Office of General Counsel with the D.C. Department of Insurance, Securities and Banking. Thank you. And we'll see you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.